So hello everybody and a very warm welcome to the second special episode of the Heart Shaped Decisions podcast. So this is Graham and my Inspiring Educators uh, series. This is the second in the series and today I would like to give a very warm welcome to Dr Victoria Carr who is a the head teacher of a primary school in Cheshire who I've been connected with on LinkedIn for a while. I really like her posts on LinkedIn and she always seems very positive and as, I, as I'm looking at her now she's actually got a crown on um, so it's uh, quite amazing but anyway Victoria would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got into teaching and what what you get up to? Well <laughs> how I got into teaching and what I get up to that's quite a big quite a big remit there mm. uh, so I'm, I am Dr Victoria Carr I am indeed a primary school head teacher in Cheshire and um, it's a job that I am passionate about and that I love very much and it is my second headship and I confess I thought uh, it would get easier in time and it hasn't at all what I'm learning is that um, I I was quoted yesterday on a a teacher's um, event and I can't actually remember what I said now, but something along the lines of being a a leader is like running an ultra marathon where your feet are on fire and although you train hard for it, nothing can prepare you for the the moments during that run where you want to give up. However, if you, not everyone is cut out for it. And if you Mm. are able to continue and carry on, then what you learn about yourself is that you are resilient and determined and passionate and that um, you're capable of far more than you thought you were. So how I would summarize this year, although it hasn't been the greatest year for many, many people, is that anybody um, who is lucky enough and privileged enough to be in a leadership role in education has probably felt like they've run an ultra marathon. <laughs> but the finishing line is in sight. For me, it's on Friday, the 18th. And um, how I got into teaching is perhaps the reason that keeps me in teaching and, and yeah. in leadership. And that is, I think, kind of shared in, in my TEDx talk, which is that I did not have the best start in life. But for me, it was a teacher who inspired my parents and, and you know, my mum particularly and the people who cared for me to kind of give me an incentive to go on and be a success and I guess I feel compelled to give that same service to other people and so for me being a leader is about serving others and that is why everyone is tired everybody who has that strategy I guess feels tired at the moment because we've spent a year serving and um, with very little respite and I'm not suggesting that we're heroes in any way similarly to the NHS of course their job is far more difficult and challenging however um, what I would say is that um, whilst we're not heroes and we don't expect kind of a hero's celebration on a daily basis nor do we expect the kind of vilification that we've had in the press I think the way we've been treated in the press is really shambolic and I think that comes from poor understanding by the government of what we actually do yeah and um, how it's been poorly presented and reported on really in the press, which is a great shame, but it's not only the teachers who who get a bad deal in the press. I'm saddened to say uh, I no longer buy a newspaper um, because I don't think they treat anybody very well at all. I think what they deem as newsworthy, perhaps the thinking amongst us in in the world uh, would disagree with. Uh, And I think there should be far more reporting on real issues such as poverty and how we can do something about that and homelessness and, um, 
you know, things like digital poverty are all legitimate topics to report on, yeah. as opposed to this idea that perhaps teachers are lazy and um, people are whinging and so on. I certainly don't think anybody's whinged through a, a global pandemic. I, I think there have been a lot of people who've been misrepresented. I think it's safe to say. So, yeah, what keeps me in teaching is passion for children and passion to try and change lives and, and change outcomes for people. And I think if if everyone had a, one advocate in their lives, it could have a massive impact on them. And so mm. my job is to be an advocate for as many people as possible, whether that's adults or children. Absolutely. No, I think I think you and I are very much on the same wavelength. I think when it comes to the press, I try, I try to I try to steer clear of it as much as I can. But um, yeah, I think uh, you know teachers being portrayed as lazy. I mean, I I live just down the road from a large uh, comprehensive school, and I know I sometimes walk past there at six o'clock at night, and there's still twenty or thirty cars in the car park, um, and there must be teachers that are working you know more hours than they get paid for, and um, that is that is not just in a pandemic. That's all the time, isn't it? So it's just made it's just, yeah, it's just made made it's just made things more difficult for you really but yeah, um, I think so. I mean, um you know lots of good things have happened as a result of this lots of changes in how how we work have yeah. taken place which are good things and, and you know change isn't always negative i think mm -hmm. things parents evenings have become far more um productive if you like yeah. because you know that in terms of the time that they take in the evenings for actual teachers um you know you can be a little bit more uh, you know time orientated i've got a lovely teacher who, who laughs with me all the time but her parents evenings are notorious they run over by hours and that's not just the parents who are here waiting to get a slot <clears throat> but that's also um you know the, the people who have to stay here to look at the school and then they're tired the next day and so on and so forth. So I think the great news for us is that parents evening, online parents evenings are much more efficient. Yeah. Um, yeah. They still provide the same information and the same service, but it doesn't involve parents having to, to come out and you know find childcare for their children at home and so on. You can mm. you know, still have yeah. parents evening at home and things like online learning and online homework and stuff like that. They're all really useful things if people have access to them. Yeah. And I think what it's yeah. highlighted is that it's a really good system. Uh, however, there's so much poverty in our country and, and yeah. there's a massive divide that actually we need to be thinking about diverting money and funds into that and tackling that rather than other things. And I think there are lots of things that we do that waste money. And SATs is one of those things, you know, key stage two SATs, key stage one SATs. All those things tell schools nothing about the ability of their children. No, um, no. They're not used formatively. They're not used to sort of illustrate to schools where the gaps are. They're used to judge a school on how successful it's been without the common sense approach, which is that children are only in school for a certain number of hours a year. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. what influences children far more is the two thirds of their time that they spend outside of school. And because everything else, all the other services have been decimated, it means that there aren't any things like, uh, you know, youth clubs or yeah. uh, things like that that would ordinarily give children opportunities outside of school. So schools are being judged on an awful lot of um, things that they have got no control over simply through things like SATs. And I think it's a travesty. And if all that money was diverted elsewhere uh, into things like digital poverty, then children would access learning a lot more and there'd be less kind of judging of learning, which is ineffective anyway. 
mm. um, as a tool, mm. you know, stats is an effective tool to judge learning because how do you measure learning? Learning's a, a thing, it's not a linear thing, is it? It's a kind of no, nebulous no, thing. So I think money needs to be diverted elsewhere. And, um, and I think that this pandemic and how we've had to work because of it has highlighted some of those things. Now, whether they'll be tackled or not still remains to be seen. You know, people are still hanging on to the old ways, desperately determined to push through phonics tests and SATs tests and, um, you know, times table checks and so on. Schools could do those equally well inside school without a formalised method. And it would be there useful for teachers to know what their children can learn at the end of a term or a year, as opposed to being published and used to sort of, um, again, vilify schools in the press in terms of league tables. To me, they're pointless yeah. exercise. They don't say what goes on in a school at all. They don't say what happens day to day to support children's social and emotional um, development, for example. They just simply measure how well they read the question and how wide their knowledge is outside of school mm. uh, and so on and how their and their ability to push that into into some tests. So it doesn't measure anything, really. But there we go. That's just my view. And it could be an unpopular. Oh, no, one, I think but... it's a view of the view of many people that I um, I. I follow quite a few people in education on LinkedIn, and I'm very supportive of, you know, if it's not if it's not working. I mean, I, you know, I think I've posted once or twice recently on LinkedIn that, um, you know, talking about going back to doing Ofsted inspections or and that kind of thing. And if it, you know, if it was me, if I was anything to do with Ofsted, I would be saying, rolling my sleeves up and saying, okay, what can I do to help? Never mind about coming in and doing inspections. How can I actually help you? Um, in this current situation and obviously that's not happening because they, they're talking about they're all waiting to come back and start sitting and inspecting you again um, and yeah I think again obsession with accountability I think if you're obsessed with being accountable then you're not focusing on the massive stage the more important stage that comes before that which is what you, you yeah. have input for I mean you know if people were only focused on the number of successful heart surgeries in a hospital Ooh. every year for example then you'd only be focusing on the number of people who've lived and the number of people who've died as opposed to improvements in care improvements in nursing improvements in in, in doctors training improvements in healthcare generally improvements in in anesthetics or drugs to treat etc etc there's a whole step before children get tested on SATs and before we judge people on statistics, yeah. there's a huge amount of information that goes behind that and around that. And I think if schools were looked at in a more holistic way, it'd yeah. be far more beneficial. And the problem with that is that it all comes down to some kind of public accountability. I'm not suggesting for one minute that schools should spend money willy nilly and not be accountable. And, mm. you know, this is money that we spend on teaching and, and on learning and um, I'm the first person to provide all my governors with information about learning and my parents for that matter because I do think it's really important but it's not about um, you know not being accountable this is about the way that people are held to account and and what you judge as being worthy of of um, holding people to account for and I yeah. personally don't feel that such results are worthy of holding a school to account for i think far more important is to come into a school and have a look at what is actually being done to change outcomes for those children and if that is you know feeding them clothing them um you know teaching them basic reading and writing because they're not they don't have access to that or that's what they need at that time yeah. or you know they've got english as a second language for example so you are focusing on teaching reading and writing because otherwise they can't access anything else because of that that's yeah. not going to necessarily be demonstrated in a sats test score what it will be demonstrated in is real 
lived experience for that yeah. child and that family and um there's none of that really that's judged um and, and, and that doesn't go into a league table and it's not no. representative of what happens in a school so yeah so all the stuff you do behind the scenes that you know you don't get any credit for it well you probably do from the parents and the children do you see i mean i'm sure you've got stories of uh, young people who you've actually seen grow as a result of the the good attention that you've given them Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> what you can do over a 20-odd year career is look back. And um, mm. with the advance of modern technology, yes, the Internet's got a lot to answer for. However, it also is, is so wonderful, some of the opportunities that come from that. And what I would say is, on the back of, um, of the talk that I did in February, lots of students that I had um, when I was a middle school teacher, you know, 18, 20 years ago, actually saw that talk and got in touch with me out wow. of the blue and talked to me about where their careers had gone and how they had no idea about my backstory. All they remember from me is that I was their biggest advocate. And when you get messages like that out of the blue, uh, it, it's quite profound actually, because you kind of go through life, or I do, it was quite a lighthearted um, take on things. You know, my take on it is that you get one life and you should try and be as happy as possible and do good where possible. Mm. Um, so it never occurs to me that just by living my values every day, you can have a profound impact on people until, a couple, and again, I say this in my talk, but until the last couple of years, how profound what you say to people, you can miss. So after a long, long career, it is nothing but heartwarming um when people contact me and say I i'm now a deputy head teacher i'm looking at headship and I, you know i'm inspired by you and and what you do wow. and or i'm i'm a doctor um and i remember our lessons so vividly i remember you telling me um that we could be anything we wanted to be and or you know i do what i do now and i still remember you saying this to me 20 years ago and i think those sorts of messages that come to you are profound absolutely and wow. They don't happen often, but they don't need to happen often just for what to change one person's life or to be remembered in one person's experiences. Oh, absolutely. It's a huge privilege. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I know what it's like. You know, some, somebody came up to me um, on a bus one day about, oh, that must be nearly 10 years ago. And um, somebody I'd worked with, you know, when I used to be a trainer for a large company. And I sat next to this guy on the bus, I looked at him, I thought, I'm sure I know that face. And he looked at me. He said, you're growing frost, aren't you? I said, yes. He said, um, I'd just like to say that when I used to work for such and such a company, you actually inspired me. And that was like, wow. You know, he remembered that, that from 10 years ago. And he wasn't even working there anymore. But it was like, um, that's, that's the impact you can have on people. Yeah, I think so. And also some of the things that we do, and this is the thing, I, you know, if I if I went into this job to get credit for what I do, I'm afraid I'd be sorely disappointed on almost a daily basis. Um, mm. So what I think is I do things not for what is seen and what is um, credited, but what I know matters. And, yeah. and I'm really lucky in my school and, and in my last school as well, to be honest with you, when you're the head, you can cultivate that kind of ethos and that kind of culture in, in your workplace. Yeah. So I'm that everybody who works with me shares a similar viewpoint um we are all working long into the evening and over the weekends and in the holidays to make sure that our vulnerable families and so on are supported from yeah. the parents and the whole family down to the individual child and that their needs are met 
and not just their needs being met in terms of physical needs, but emotional and social needs as well. And also being really explicit with parents about your expectations. Yeah. It doesn't always make me popular to share with our parents here, it, you know, in general, that um, I think we should behave ethically and with integrity. And I think we should, you know, be more tolerant and accepting of one another's challenges and differences. Um, however, I wouldn't be true to myself if I didn't behave that way and make it explicit what I expect. Yeah. And because I expect myself all the time, it can be incredibly difficult to be me because I never give myself a minute off. And because of that, also, I, I don't really give anyone else a minute off that. You know, I expect everyone to always behave with that level of integrity at all times mm. and to put children part of everything that we do. Because if we don't, then who else do you know yes, and i think absolutely. sometimes it's a safe place for children and um but then then it becomes even more imperative that what we do yeah. i think yeah, i think one of the one of the most important parts that a teacher spends you know, plays in a young person's life is that of a role model and um you know I, I look i look back on my education which was a very long time ago um i was uh, you know i mean i remember having a a head teacher at my first uh, secondary school who was um, a very good role model. And I also remember a teacher in primary school. One of my teachers in primary school was a very good role model, although I didn't realise it at the time. Um, look, looking back on it now, you know, Mrs Shepherd, who taught me to read and write and do maths in primary school, was, you know, was somebody who, you know, I, I'm very thankful to have had in my life at that time. You don't realise it at the time, but you know, I'm sure she's. I'm sure she's no longer around. But um, you know, you don't. You don't realise people will. People will be th still thinking about you in 20, 30, 40 years time, and they'll and they'll be, they'll be thinking back to being taught by you and being led by you, and um, thinking you know thinking that it was a, it was a good experience for them, and it served them very well. Well, I hope so. I mean. Um... The staff that I work with now are quite funny. They tell me that they've never worked with anybody like me. And I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing, but I'm hopeful that in time they'll see it as a good thing. And I think um, the lasting impact that you can have, sometimes you can never see that. But the main thing isn't that you see it, it's that it happens. Mm. Um, yeah, so that, that's why that's why I do what I do, really. I, I love it, regardless of... The tricky times and it is tricky at the moment you know everyone's exhausted it's been a hell of a year yeah. things are different to how they would normally yeah. be and people don't like change and they, and they don't like um none of us have liked what's happened to us so it can be challenging managing expectations from all different stakeholders you know because it's my responsibility to, to look out for the organizational integrity of, of our school um to make sure it's protected to make sure that the children are safe and happy uh, and teach you know teaching and learning is is good so that they are learning something effective to make sure staff morale is high and that staff feel supported to make sure parents know what's going on um yeah. and to make sure the local authority and, and those external agencies are also aware of what we're doing as a school so there's a lot of different plates to be spun by head teachers at the moment and and you know i'm happy to spin them 
but there are times of course when that spinning gets very exhausting and I think it'd be foolish of me to sort of make out like it's all plain sailing it really isn't I'm very lucky and privileged to work in the school I do with the team I've got but that's not to say that there aren't days when we don't all have our heads in our hands and I think um, I've never made any um, bones about that you know on social media or anywhere else because I think sometimes the biggest pressure that we place on ourselves is that we compare ourselves unfavorably to others and yeah. we find ourselves wanting uh, when we all we are all of doing is really the best that we can do so I think for any of those leaders out there who are listening to this or any teachers who are listening to it or any parents for that matter um, it's to say that we're all human beings. I have a family. I have two um, teenage children, and I have to support them and what they're doing. And you know, there are family expectations upon me as a child, as well as as a mother, as a sister. You know, and and I've got lots of friends. So I think um, you know there is a human side of me that I have to try and squeeze in around the professional side of me that does all yeah. of this for school and for those children and I think that everybody will be feeling that pressure at the moment to be all things to all people all the time is exhausting and I think again it would be foolish of me to try and make out like this is an easy ride because it really isn't but you know there is collective support out there um, you see it on LinkedIn you see it on Twitter the educationists who follow me yeah. all agree and say it is challenging but I think being authentic and telling the truth and saying at times this is really hard it helps people who might perhaps have an idea that they have to be perfect and it all has to be swimming all the time it really yeah. things do not go well all the time um and particularly at the moment when people are more angry you know the head teachers are just a moving target for people to take that anger out on um and again particularly when fueled um by the press so i think it's yes. inherent upon not just to be a good role model as an educator but to be a good role model as a woman and as a mother you know I'm 46 years old now and I have not given up learning I have not given up zest for life or a desire to do better and be a better version of myself just because I'm skyrocketing towards being menopausal so I look at my daughter and I want her to see that women are valid in the workplace and that we have a voice and that we can develop ourselves long into our 40s and 50s. And to not feel ashamed of that, really. And, and you know, times are changing and we live in an inclusive society where women are valued. And I think that's important. I really do. So, you know, as a, as a woman, as a professional woman, as a head teacher, hopefully people will look at me and know that I'm not perfect. I'm the same as anyone else. I'm a human being just trying to do the best I can and that I have my challenges like everyone else and I overcome them and demonstrating resilience is perhaps something that other people can look towards rather than it, me being inspirational. I think people can take inspiration from lots of uh, folks like me who are in the public domain, who have a real life and, and who are showing that it's possible to survive it and possible to, to be resilient as long as you have support and a good team around you. Cause that's the bottom line of it all really. We can't do this on our own. No, you can't. No, you can't do it on your own. That's, I've got people around me cause it's been a very challenging year for everybody, but everyone's got, you need people around you. And I've certainly got that as well. And I think um, you've just inspired me completely. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a lot. Um, I'm a bit older than you, but I've got, I'm still learning to do new. I've had to learn to do new things this year because things have changed. So I think that, yeah, that's a good thing that I've actually had to learn to do things differently. Um, 
where would we be without the internet this year, for example? You know, I mean, not that we haven't had it before, but we put it to probably better use this year than than um, could we've been pushed into doing it. So yeah, it's um, well, thank you so much. It was just amazing to to listen to you. I'm just blown away by your you know, all the good stuff that you that you said. So if um, if people want to get in touch with you, Victoria, what's the best way to contact you? If you're if I know you're quite active on LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn or Twitter, um, Head of Woodlands. Uh, that's my school. I'm, I'm proud of it. So Head at Woodlands on Twitter. And I think I'm also the same on LinkedIn, Victoria Carr. There's only, there's only one of me, I think. I, I, I don't know for certain. I don't but know I think many others. There's only one. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one Victoria Carr. And that's well, there is that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thank you so thank you so much for, for being with my us pleasure. today really really inspiring and um let me just uh stop the 